I'm going to record everything. All right. We can, I can cut it up later. Just get right in there. Okay. So what have you been doing to, uh, to stay in shape and train? Well, I live in a, a pretty big city, Detroit, Michigan. So uh-huh. what I can do is just work out and try to run as much as I can. Okay, cool. You got to, what are you doing? Like workout wise, you able to lift or you just like, uh, yeah, just planet fitness lifting dumbbells and uh, machine work other than that nothing much right and then uh you doing any any basketball or anything like that doing any dunking uh when i can get around the basketball room we have a lot of things closed down due to the pandemic still oh. so it's kind of hard to get into a gym oh it's a nightmare it's an absolute nightmare i know oh man i feel for you so what's the um where are we on getting you to Vanguard? <laughs> Let's get to the. Well, I just got a. Um, I ran into a little issues with the um, admissions, and mm-hmm. other than that, um, I had a couple conversations with the coach, but no like further steps. Right. I'm all for it. I'm very interested in you know seeing what they have to offer, but right. I just gotta see you know what what we can do on this end to further right. the process. Okay. Um, I'm still a real, you know, rookie when it comes to this. I've, I've never coached at the four year level before. So, you know, right after I graduated, uh, from UCLA, I went right to the junior college ranks. So I coached for six years at Orange Coast College, which is Southern California. And then, then I disappeared into the backwaters of high school for quite a while. (laughs) And then I, I came out of that just this year. So it had been you know, like what, six years from 88 was 94, 95. And then, yeah, from 95 to, you know, 2020, that's 25 year chunk, you know, of just high school and, you know, having fun doing it, but, you know, hadn't really thought of going back, you know, even to the, to the junior college level. I tried really hard to get a JC job again this year for the first time in a long time. And uh, it just didn't pan out. And um, Vanguard thing opened up, which was, you know, like technically it's a little bit lower than division three, I guess you got division. Yeah. NAIA. Yeah. AIA. So, but still, you know, um, and then Vanguard is actually going to be stepping up their game and trying to become division two here in a couple of years. So um, they're going to go and dump a lot of money into a big sports complex they have okay. some space. It's right. It's technically it's right down the street from Orange Coast College because that's where my kids are training right now. Because they don't really have the facilities. We've got like a high jump pit built out in the middle of nowhere, but there's no long or triple. There's not a real track, you know that kind of stuff. So uh, the weight room right now is like four, four, um, you know, uh, we call them four squat racks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in a tent. <laughs> so. You know, I, oh, it sounds like we live in the same life. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. They're, they're getting ready to dump millions of dollars into it from what I understand, because, you know, you can't, you can't be a division two program and, and have no facilities, you know, <laughs> right. you, gotta, you gotta get some people to come in and build up your program so they can pay the bills. So, yeah. Well, Hey, uh, Robert, let's, um, we're kind of, uh, we're kind of wandering around talking about the, the more personal stuff, but, uh, I want to, um, first of all, uh, welcome to uh, Raise the Bar. This is the podcast of, uh, I'm your host, Troy Haynes, and this is uh, 
our podcast through Sky High and Fly Jump Camps. Uh, I'm on the YouTube channel with a, a grand total of about 51 subscribers right now, but we're hoping to keep uh, moving up. And, uh, <laughs> Robert has graciously um, offered his time. This is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is my guest, Robert Atwater. He is a uh, former high school uh, state champion in, in Michigan, uh, where he jumped 215, you said, in high school? Is that right? Uh, 610 is what I want to stay meet with. Yeah. When your best clearance in high school was was two ten, or did you get higher than that? Well, I went seven foot in high school. So he went seven feet in high school. You were the guy that I would have hated. I was a six ten jumper in high school trying to get seven <laughs> and didn't get it. So Robert jumped seven feet in high school and then uh, went on to college where he jumped two twenty, which is seven two and a half, right? And with that yep. seven two and a half clearance, uh, he became eligible to go to the Olympic trials, which he did in 2016. So that was one thing I wanted to talk to you about because one of my lifetime dreams was to do just that. Now, back in 1984, uh, when I was trying to get to the U- Olympic trials in the U.S., the qualifying height was seven four and a half, um, and all it did every year after that was go up for me. So I was like. I was always a little bit below it and uh, I never quite got there. So when I was talking with Robert on his um, Instagram feed and he told me that he had gone to the trials, I was like, what? You got to go to the trials. (laughs) And so um, you, you may not know this out there, but I've mentioned it a few times. I've just been in the middle of a run of uh, jumpers who've made it to the Olympic trials. So we started with Doug Nordquist who jumped uh, seven, eight and three quarters, one of the highest jumps in the U S but not the highest, obviously there's some higher, but he jumped and uh, got into the Olympic games in 84. So he not only made it to the trials, but made it to the finals and then made the team where he jumped seven, six in 84 and took fifth, which wasn't a bad showing at all. Then his teammate was a guy named is a guy named Leo Williams. He was the alternate on that team. So Leo made the team, but didn't get to compete. He was the number four. So if somebody would have got hurt, he would have got able to go, but he didn't but he's another guy that made it to the trials. And then, so that was way back in the old guy days like me. And then we went <laughs> way more recent where I got to talk to um, first Jumpman Westner, which I don't know if you followed him. If you haven't yet, Robert, he's an interesting follow. He's got a, a lot of uh, followers on Instagram. This guy can tomahawk dunk from the free throw line. He jumped, oh, wow. uh, he jumped 227 or 228, whatever five and three quarters is. I forget which one, um, but he uh, just stupid hops and he made it to the final and then did not make the team this last year in 2021. And then we got to talk to um, Tyler Arroyo, who also jumped uh, to 28. But Tyler's journey was interesting because he started with your PR. He was at like 220 and he rocketed up out of nowhere from in, in 2020 or 2020, he went to uh, from seven, two and a half to seven, five and three quarters and, and made it to the final also. So we talked to him. And then just recently, I, I bumped into a guy again on Instagram. I, I just love Instagram because I'm able to see uh, jump <laughs> videos from all over the world. But uh, this Paul Gallus is a, a Canadian and he made it to the finals in Canada. So we've got a, a Canadian finals guy and he jumped against, you know, Derek Drown. And those guys Ooh. in uh, in 20, 
2021, he actually didn't jump against Derek Brown because Derek Brown had retired. Yeah, he would retire. He had to jump against him for a while uh, in other meets. So he actually came in third at his trials, but, you know, he didn't get to go. So, and now we're here at Robert and Robert got to jump in the 2016 trial. So hit me up, man. Tell me about it. What was that like? It was actually a great experience, but on the back end of that, it was heavy, heavy, heavy rain, like super heavy rain Yeah, where they were like mopping the high jump pit before we could jump, you know, and giving us the okay before the jumps. But other than that, it was a great experience. I was a very young guy at the time. So Uh um, the inexperience of big meets, you know, weighed in on that. Yeah. it, It showed me what I would like in the future. Right. I get that. Um, so when you you got there, and this is again, you you got to understand my perspective. I just I tried three different times. You know, my my sophomore year at UCLA, I jumped um, two nineteen, I guess whatever is the closest to just seven two. Um, let's see, two twenty is two and a half, so two nineteen would be two and a quarter. It must have been two eighteen. I jumped two eighteen got to 220. And, you know, that year I'd, I'd never jumped seven feet before. So I went seven feet a couple of times. I went seven, two once. And, you know, then some people around me said, Hey, you know, the U S Olympic trial heights only, you know, seven, four and a half. That's like the next height up. Right. So I had taken some jumps at it and I'm like, well, let's, let's get after it. And it was just a little late in the season. And it really wasn't part of my goal set for that season because as a, you know, my, my, freshman year I jumped horribly at UCLA so I, I went from jumping 210 in high school to like I think I jumped 205 that first year and so improving back from 205 up to 218 was a big year already so it wasn't like I was satisfied but I was pretty happy with the year and I I honestly didn't have the Olympic trials in my goal set you know at the start of the season it just kind of yeah same you have a season where you have to re-goal as you go through yeah you started hitting your goals and you're like oh well okay, I've already done that. So let's raise this goal. So I had it as a goal, but it was late. And then um, in 88, I actually took a year off from school to train for the trials. And in that time, the bar had gone from four and a half to like five and a quarter. And I jumped well that year, but never came close to making that. And then in by 92, I was 28 years old. I was still just basically training. I hadn't really gotten a real job yet. I hadn't started teaching, doing the things I've been doing for the last 25 years. And the trial had gone up again, I think, to five and three quarters. And, uh, you know, it was just crazy. I couldn't, I couldn't get there. Uh, I wouldn't juice. And, you know, I just, I just didn't learn enough, you know? So it was like, ah, I really wanted to go. (laughs) And uh, by the time I got to be 28, I figured, you know, I was past my prime and it was time to get a real job. (laughs) <laughs> so I quit on my Olympic dreams, became a teacher and a coach and all that, but uh, I'd already been coaching for a while, but I still held out. So that's the mindset. And I, you know, I don't know if I've ever run through that all the way through on this podcast before, but I still am just fascinated with number one, how to jump higher, right? How to any kind of training tips, any kind of, you know, technique, what did we do? you know, that kind of thing. And for someone to have the success that you had at the high school level first to jump over seven feet is not unheard of, obviously, at the high school level, but it's still exceptional. And then, you know, to continue to push that envelope to get up to two and a half and then get to go to the trials. I'm bummed to hear that it was raining because I know what that's like. 
but um, when you were there, how many how many other people were at that meet then? At you know, do you remember were there? Oh yeah, the um, first day. Oh, it, I mean, just in high jump. Yeah, or athletes in total. Uh, no, yeah, just in in high jump. We don't we don't care about the other guys. We're just talking about your. <laughs> You're right. The jump guys are the best. <laughs> but it was <laughs> it was 24 of us high jumpers. Um, okay. I was currently ranked number 23 out of the 24 guys. Right. There are about two or three high school guys and about two or three like older guys that were like coaches, some that was in their mid thirties and stuff. Right. You know, and then we had the top guys, of course, Jesse Williams, Eric Kennard, Shelvin. Um, we had Jerome Robinson. He was a big D2 guy at the time. Okay. And yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a super crappy meet, you know, yeah. and from the way, like you said, reprocessing your goals was a big thing for me that year. Because it was my freshman year of college. I never went through a whole year of competitive college, you know, meets or whatever. And by the time I got done, they was like, well, you qualify for the under-20 meet, the under-23 meet as well, the Pan Am Games. And wow. I was like, wow. You know, and then my coach was like, but you also got the Olympic trials. And I said, yeah, let's take that one. So right. we went with that. Awesome. So other than a lack of experience and everything, I mean, and, and the horrible weather, I mean, how did it go? Did you did you make opening height? What was the opening height? Oh, and so what? How this went was opening height was seven one and a quarter. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure or seven one and a half, one of the two. So my first jump was gonna be a PR basically right out the gate. Right. And it, they said top sixteen goes to the finals. Right. But by the time they realized they couldn't finish the the prelims, you know, so right. They said, whoever made the first bar goes to the finals. And I right. think they took like 18 or 19 guys. Right. So okay. That was a bum. So that was it. So unfortunately, with your, your career best was 220, which is seven, two and a half, right? So they started you out really close to if it's five, if it's seven, one and three quarters, that would be like 217 or something. So yeah, 217. Difficult to open right at your best. Right. I mean, it's like right right at my best in the worst weather possible in the worst weather possible. Oh, man, what a bummer. I uh, I had one experience doing what you're talking about, and it was the same kind of thing. Like I had my biggest meet ever my senior year. I made it to the NC2As is the first time. Um, and he, like you said, it was different back in the day when I was, you know, jumping before you were born in 86. My senior year, I jumped 222 jumped seven, three and a half or a quarter, however you want to look at it. And um, that was the qualifying height for NC2As. Like if you jumped seven, three, even you did not get to go. There was not a regional. There was not a six. Oh, oh, the qualifying. None of that. It was seven, three and a quarter or you didn't go. So when I jumped that, I got to the finals in Indianapolis in 1986. And there were 24 jumpers that had jumped three and a quarter or more in the U S and we're sitting there in the middle of the stadium and I'm a, uh, I'm like clueless, right? I'm from, I'm from California where the sun shines all the time. So we're getting out there. It's an evening start and I've got my bag and I've taken out my shoes and I've got my, my sweats out and I'm just kind of rummaging through my bag and I'm looking in, I look into the stands and it was the funniest thing, <laughs> Robert, everybody runs like they just Everybody gets up and runs. And I'm like, what in the heck? And I'm the only person. Every, all the other jumpers apparently were from somewhere in the area because they all started. 
And all of a sudden it just goes and just thunder lightning and just downpours like for five, 10 minutes straight, just heavy, heavy rain. And I'm sitting there looking up going, what in the world? Everything I had was soaked immediately. Like it wasn't, it wouldn't have mattered if I had to put it in my bag or not, because it, it just, it was like somebody dumping a tub full of water on you. <laughs> I was like, douche. So I finally throw my stuff in my bag and I go running to get under the, the bleachers like everybody else. And it took them like an hour to squeegee everything off. And, all, and you know, we were already been warmed up. We're doing run throughs. And, we're, you know, it was like we get halfway done and then they decide it's too wet. Uh, James Lott from Texas didn't like it. And he was like two time defending champ. So they moved the pits. So then we had to remeasure. It was, I was like, are you kidding me? You know, it, it just turned oh, into this fiasco. And then nobody jumped well. Same kind of thing, right? The warm ups were prolonged. You know, it turned into instead of a half an hour, it was an hour and a half. And, you know, we remeasured and it was just a nightmare. And uh, yeah, wasn't wasn't my favorite uh, meet <laughs> for something yeah. that I'd, you know, been looking forward to, you know, to get there. Uh, that right. the weather throwing a damper on it, you know. What are the other great examples in U.S. high jump history? I think uh, everybody would point to Dwight Stones in uh, in 76 in Montreal where he was favored to win and they famously left the roof of the stadium open and it rained and it rained. So Dwight was not happy with that and ended up jumping seven, three and took the bronze again and was just favored to destroy the field. And uh, two weeks later, I think, or a week and a half later or something, he actually broke the world record and beat all those people that beat him at the Olympics. So it was like, you know, his payback once it was dry. <laughs> so hard to, like you said, hard to run and, and trust your plant foot, right? And in, in wet conditions yeah. and all that. Right. I was a pretty spoiled athlete in high school and college. So if there was any bad weather, they were definitely sending me down. Unless I told them, like, I'll just go run or do something different. But other than that, I would never jump yeah. in any conditions. Because freshman year, actually, my brother, he was a senior when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And it started to rain. And he was long jumping. He slipped off the board and almost broke his neck. Wow. So when I became the athlete that I was, they was like, oh, we don't want to take that chance again. Right. So, yeah, that's that's understandable. You know, that's that's one of those things, too. It haven't, if it happened to you personally, that would that would make things difficult again, any conditions like that. And And I remember it only happened a few times because I wasn't a great curve runner and I wasn't particularly fast. So, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't really good at leaning both away and back from the bar. Um, but as I started to get better, I started to, you know, start trying to do that. And there were a couple of times when it was slick where that, where your foot slips, even outdoors. Yeah. And that will just shake you up. All it takes is one, <laughs> you know, you're like one slip. And all of a sudden you're just questioning, Hey, can I really, can I really punch it on this turn and hold it? Right, right. If I slip, am I going to kill myself? Am I going to, you know, rip my leg open with my own spikes or, you know, who knows, you know, what can happen there? So, yeah, that's, uh, that's frustrating. So on a um, personal level now, you went uh, 7-2, you got to go to the trials your freshman year at which, which uh, college did you end up going to? out of high school Saginaw Valley State University Saginaw Valley State and then I've heard I've I know I've heard that name before um what was the team uh 
mascot. Remember the the name of the oh, Cardinals. We were the Cardinals. Cardinals. Okay. So you went there and had an outrageous freshman year by all accounts, right? You jumped seven, two and a half, which is for those of you out there that are, are young jumpers and you're listening, uh, the transition from high school to college is not always that sweet. Um, a lot of people uh, will find that, and you may have found this too, Robert, that your body changes on you. Like some, sometimes you get, go from your kind of teenage body to your man body and it happens really mm-hmm. quickly. Like I was 6'3", 180 in high school. And I always thought, you know, the word skinny used to really make me angry, but I was pretty skinny. 6'3", 180 was pretty skinny. Now, some of the guys I jumped against were skinnier than that. But, you know, at 6'3", 180, I was like, yeah, well, one year of eating the dorm food at UCLA and I was 6'3", 195. And uh, I didn't put on a whole lot more power. So that's why that freshman year, I went from 210 down to 205. I think I was carrying 15 extra pounds and I didn't make any corresponding strength gains right so all of a sudden you're carrying that 15 extra pounds off the ground and that's a real deal you know you carrying more weight is harder so for robert to come in and get better by quite a bit is quite an accomplishment because i've seen it happen before where you know some people will just have that adjustment year let's give it that term either a red shirt year or the right. year right and like you said college is a whole nother level and expectations and you know if you had a scholarship i'm sure that's extra like i was a walk-on so even though i jumped 210 in high school you know at ucla they were like oh we got we got people like you coming out of the woodwork you know they had, i was number seven on the depth chart when i got there you know at 210 so they're like yeah whatever yeah you can come join the team maybe you know give it a shot <laughs> they didn't care one way or the other and yet when i didn't jump well they weren't like oh you should use that as a redshirt year they're like ah eh, you probably weren't going to pan out anyway you know, so I, I ended up wasting a year because I, I didn't know any better. I didn't redshirt and uh, I didn't get any better jumping for sure until I started lifting. So uh, you came in and had this outrageous year as a freshman. Uh, you went, you went, since you went to the trials, you went to NC2As as well also, right? You had to. Yeah, for Division 2 though. Division 2. Wait, yep, you just hit a certain mark and yep, you make that list if you're the really top. Good. I think it's 16. If you're the top 16, you automatically make it. So, so how did that, how did that meet go? Um, the first indoors, um, me and my coach had a decision error. I would like to call it. I came in, uh, I think opening height was about six, eight or something of that nature. No, maybe six, six is what I came in at. And I jumped so high over it that my coach said to skip the next height. Right. Well, there was so many people going in at that height that I got dead legs. Ah. So I ended up with a top of like seventh place, I think. Yeah, it was seventh place, the first one. And then the second one, I took sixth place. Or maybe the other way around. I can't remember. It was like Indoor six years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, 2016. That's at least five. Holy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's another thing. See, I, I really want to sit down and, and pick the brain of someone like yourself because did now, did you grow up jumping indoors a lot? No, not at all. I actually didn't have a track and field background. I was a baseball and basketball player. Okay. And just one year, uh, my mom became a track coach and I decided to run track. And then even in that first year when my brother was doing high jump, I wanted to do it, but I just still wasn't tall or good enough at that point. 
And it wasn't until like the end of my sophomore year when I started jumping. But yeah, mostly outdoors. And then I had one year indoors in high school and then the one year indoors in college. Well, your one year, one year indoors in high school is one year more than I ever got because out here on the West Coast, especially in California, there's no need for indoor. The weather right. is beautiful all the time. Like all the time you notice on my posts when I get a chance, I'll put sunny Southern California. Like come <laughs> here and we'll jump where it's sunny. I mean, it hardly ever rains. It's hardly ever cold, all that kind of stuff. And you're like, that sounds crazy to somebody. It's like, there is no need. Now, if you're up in Oregon, you're up in Washington. You know, I knew guys. The rain. My senior year at UCLA, I met a kid who was only a freshman from Washington named Rick Noji, who had jumped seven, six in high school indoors. Because they had all these great training facilities up there, right? And he, and they, you had to have indoors because it was always raining. I mean, Seattle gets more rain than, than most places do in like 10 years. So I was always jealous. I'm like, man, how do you jump indoors? And the places that they had to jump indoors for us, they had wood uh, takeoff areas. And so you're running in your spikes and you're, they're sinking yep. the wood. And you, ah, I hated it. I jumped indoors twice. I never jumped well. I didn't like it at all. So I've been watching these meets where, you know, you've got these indoor facilities that are either off of turf or off of, you know, they still have the uh, all weather you know, surface yeah, polyurethane surface. And I'm like, man, I didn't get to jump on that kind of stuff. And then I see these guys jumping and uh, sometimes off of uh, like a basketball gym floor. Yeah. And everybody's jumping in high tops. And I'm like, man, that's what I want to do. That would be fun. You know, because I remember a couple of times at Poly Pavilion, you know, they used to have a uh, rec basketball down there and we would go down. And when I was in shape, I get it, you know, my elbows up above the rim off that floor. It was great. I'm like going, this would be great to high jump off of, you know? So that's yeah, our high school. Oh, you yeah. No, no. You oh, yeah. In high school, we had um, our high jump mat was a patchy surface, but mostly cement. So it was best if you didn't wear spikes. Right. And a lot of our athletes was basketball players. So we had a thing where we would come to practice and our heaviest basketball shoes, like, the heaviest ones we had. Most of us was wearing Jordans. So we had just high jump practice all day in those. And then when the meet came and we went to someone else's school, we were like jumping out the gym because we never had that surface. Yeah. Yeah. That's, there might be some wisdom to that too. I, I've, I've found both ways. Like sometimes not knowing how good it is, it's almost like, oh my gosh, this is so great. You know, and you get that, that extra lift you know, when you, you do get to go to a great place. Now, I was thinking in, in high school, ours was kind of the same at, at Millican high school. I don't mean to offend any of my predecessors or people that followed me from there, but it wasn't my favorite place to jump. We had like maybe two steps on polyurethane and then we had asphalt, black asphalt. And then there was a, actually a little gap of about a foot and a half of dirt with a little, uh, a uh, strip of wood so and then grass so uh, technically grass to dirt to wood to asphalt to polyurethane so you could hit five different types of surfaces in your approach <laughs> if you did it right <laughs> like so hopefully you jumped over the dirt and missed the wood but you're still going from grass to black asphalt which in your spikes didn't feel great 
but then you might get two steps, you know, probably two steps on the, on the polyurethane. I just, I never jumped well at home. It was weird. Like when we went somewhere else, I was stoked. Like there was another school in our district called Lakewood. So hats okay. off to you Lancer fans out there. The Lakewood Lancer is one of our arch rivals. I PR'd every time I jumped there, every time in high school, six, four, six, 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 eight, six, nine and a half. My senior, I mean, every time it was always at Lakewood. I was like until CIF finals at, at Cerritos college, but crazy. I remember just going, we would go to Lakewood. I'd be like, Oh yeah, this is great. I like it here. You know, <laughs> it was like, it was way better than being at home. Maybe there's something to that. Yeah, every school, every school was like that for us. And every, just like you said, instead of it being every time you went to that one school, it was everywhere I went, I would get a PR. (laughs) Everywhere. Like, no matter where it was, it was a new PR. And a lot of that had to do with, I was stopped. So once I get, when I jump six foot for the first time, the next meet, I would jump six one and stop. That way, every time I was at a meet, I would get that progression rather than, jump seven foot first meet and then never right. jump six nine again you know right so i like that idea that's something we never really got uh it was it was kind of interesting in california for whatever reason it it's changed a little bit i still i'm horrible at this i i actually would go for a while on my my instagram and when people would send me bars like you did i would say okay you know they would say i jumped 215 now, I know what 215 is, but I don't always assume that all the people that are following me do. So I'll put down 215 slash, and then I'll write out the feet and inches because we're Americans. <laughs> it's like, right. I still think in feet and inches. I don't understand metric. I do. I understand it, but I don't have it memorized. And except the heights that you hit all the time. But in, in high school, nobody ever told me what the metric was. We jumped six feet, six two. Six four yep. six. I didn't know what the metrics were, and I didn't care because I knew what how high that was in my own thinking, and I knew I wanted to jump seven feet eventually, and that was all that mattered. And then you find out later, you know, in college we started jumping at two meters, two o five, two ten. Does that work out evenly all the way? No, it does not. <laughs> it's like the weird part is, is from six feet to six ten, it seems to go. Six feet and three quarters, six two and three quarters, six four and three quarters, yeah. six and three quarters, but eventually it ends up flipping because it's not quite exact, and it's just like, oh my gosh. So I didn't understand that, and then it, we never went odds. I don't ever remember jumping six five or six seven. We did that once at CIF prelims. They went an odd number because they were trying to cut to a certain number. So instead, that of that was a thing in one in the Midwest. In the Midwest, we do the odd. So. We start at five one. That's like open the height, and then it go three five seven nine, and then from there they take it. And when it get to six foot, because you know more top out or six foot area, it right. goes six foot, and then they let you choose whether you want to go to six one or six two. But right. up and we go to six three for like our qualifying for like the state meet, and then after that you go wherever you want to go after that if you right. make it. But right, yeah, we go by our numbers. Interesting. Yeah. Well, there's another thing that that's quite interesting to me. Uh, we're just talking about skipping heights now for those of you listening to the, the um, Sky High and Fly podcast called Raise the Bar. We're, li- we're talking right now with Robert Atwater, who's from uh, Detroit, Michigan. Right. Are you, which yes, part sir. of 
your is that I got the right city and everything else? Yes, sir. And uh, he went to Saginaw Valley State after being a, a high school state champion and was a, a seven, two and a half jumper his freshman year, went to NC2As, went to the Olympic trials, which I'm so jealous. That's so awesome. Um, we're talking about the, uh, the way that the bar moves. So we just mentioned, you know, we were going evens here in California. You were going odds in the Midwest. And then you get at the world level. I was watching, I've been watching for a while with interest. They seem to go in five meter, five centimeter skips. So say they go 215 to open. And this is still, it's, I think at the Olympics, 215, which is what, seven feet and a half inch, 220, seven, two and a half, 225, seven, four and a half. And then they start going by fours and then threes. Like mm-hmm. there's a set thing. Like if you look at the jump record from just this last Olympics, it's like it goes fives and then it either goes fours or then quickly to threes. And then sometimes it seems like twos. Twos, yep. Yeah, they start skipping these. Uh, I haven't figured it out yet, but. It's the 27, 29, 31, 33 range. And then it go like 35, 38. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, right? But the, the thing <laughs> I find interesting in all of that is that, you know, those of you that are out there jumping, you'll know this. If you have a jump history of any kind, and then if you're you're young and you're you're trying to learn things by listening, you might not know, but you literally can't jump every height because you only have so many jumps in you, right? So fatigue sets in, your shins and your knees start to hurt or whatever, but it's like on you know, a meet day with adrenaline, you, you can keep jumping. You can keep putting yourself out there as fast as you can. But, you know, they've done some studies and they go, well, anywhere from nine to 12, you know, strategically, yes, somewhere in there. And then you're just going to peter out. You just you can't keep jumping that high. So you're like, okay, what does that mean practically? Well, that means I should be jumping my best at my highest heights somewhere in that range. So now you have to plan it out and you go, number one, I don't want to open too early. Because if I open too early, I'm going to waste all those really great energetic jumps. And everybody's seen somebody do that. They open at 6'6", and they make it by six inches, like you're talking about. And your coach goes, hey, let's pass the seven feet, which sounds great. But then you're sitting around for three hours, and sometimes you lose your bounce. So you go, okay, I got to learn how to deal with that. I should get up periodically. And, you know, I'm sure you figured that out after a while. There's there's strategies of that. Should I just slow down my warm-up? and wait to open later right you've got that you've also got the fact that you just can't jump every height so i do like the intrigue i I would like to see it go maybe on threes because three centimeters is about an inch so if the bar goes up an inch every time and you just set you just hey we're going we're going up by threes period then it becomes intriguing because if you start at six one and i start at six two you beat me at six one. I go to six two. I'm ahead, and you pass six two. But you go to six three, and you make it. Now I'm trailing, and it just keeps going like this, right? Right, right. So that's that's when it becomes really interesting to me because you're watching it going. Well, they're on a different cycle, so you know they don't ever have to actually. They're not even actually jumping head to head. They are, but they're not jumping the same heights. I find that a little bit more interesting, and I think it would be more interesting or intriguing just from a coaching standpoint if they started doing that, even at the high school level, you know, 
Because you would That's have. That's what I come to find out. Yeah, when I was in high school, the two numbers for like the top jumpers was like six five and six eight. Mm-hmm. So when I became very comfortable around the six nine six ten range, anytime I would start, I would start at six six, just so we know that I'm gonna clear it. But I'm definitely skipping six eight. Right. Like definitely, there's no way that I'm going because every time for some reason that six eight number, I clip it with the heel or. Do something weird, but whenever it was like six ten, it was like, oh, I have to fly like extra high for some reason. Right. So I also how the attempts could slip you up, but by knowing that will help you out a lot. Like if you're very comfortable with the number six six, but not so much six seven. Right. But you could take a jump at six six and skip the six. You know. Right. That's why it, it becomes very strategic at that point. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned a name earlier that that fascinates me, Jesse Williams. Oh yes, he went to SC, right? So we hate him for that because I'm a UCLA guy. <laughs> but I remember I was um, I was hadn't been to UCLA in a long time, and I was invited to come back for like a a 20 year anniversary. So I graduated in '86. So what's 20 years after that? Like 2006. Six. I think it was 2006. <laughs> And Mike Powell, the great long jumper, yes, sir. Record holder who was a teammate of mine, came back to that meet. But he had, I think he was coaching there. He had just started coaching at UCLA. And um, he, uh, he was there. And then I watched the meet and everything. And, you know, of course, I'm watching a high jump. And Jesse Williams jumped 210 and won the meet because UCLA didn't have a strong high jump squad at that time. And then he passed to like seven, five. And I remember watching him going, okay, that's just silly. Right. I'm just like, there's, I, no, no. <laughs> any sense to me. And then he almost made it like two, two of his jumps were really good. And I remember going, wow. I'm like, number one, kudos, you know, uh, you know, what do you want to say? Cojones. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> Pass from two ten to whatever seven five is in metric i can't even remember i was like i was blown away you know and uh that that was one of the most impressive passes i'm trying to think of of other people that that were jumping things you were talking about uh certain heights i remember i I was just looking back at my jump record one day and i go okay seven two was weird because the very first time i ever jumped at seven two i had just made seven feet and I almost made seven two. And a couple of weeks later, we went against Cal and a really good jumper named John Morris, who I hope John, you're listening. And one of these days, I want to get you on this podcast. I jumped against John in high school and didn't know him because he was from Northern California. And I was from Southern California and we wouldn't see those guys till the state meet. So here's John Morris, another guy named uh, Maurice Crumbie who went to uh, Arizona. So I jumped against these guys for years, even after high school. And uh, I think Maurice jumped seven five. He might still hold the state high school record. He just doesn't hold the state high school meet record. The state. Right. But he jumped, you know, four and a half, a bunch of times, went to to Arizona. John ended up jumping even higher, like five and three quarters or six or something. And um, so these, these heights, I remember I jumped seven, two against Cal and John Morris. And it was only the second time I'd seen that height. And then I remember a million times the bar would go to two seven two and a half 
and I never made seven two and a half for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Two twenty was just like not happening. I don't know what it was. So all the times that I was in college, that the bar would go from two fifteen, which I was real comfortable at, seven feet and a half inch. Two and a half was not happening. So I jumped seven one. I jumped seven one and a quarter. You know what? I don't forget what it was. And then two was okay. Two and a half was impossible apparently. And then my senior year, I jumped two and a quarter. And on the same day, the first time I'd ever seen 222, I made it on my second attempt. So I'm like, if you can jump three and a half, why can't you jump two and a half? And I'd <laughs> never seen two and a quarter before. And I made that on my first jump. So I'm like, okay, first of all, why didn't they ever put it at two and a quarter before? Or why didn't I think about that before? So I was like, what is it with that? And then I took the best jump ever the day I made three and a half with four and a half, which I tried a few times, but two and a half for some reason was a personal nemesis. So I, I hear what you're saying. When you said you couldn't jump, you didn't like jumping at six, eight. I, I get yeah. that. Seven, two. Yeah, that's how the conference meet was. The conference meet was weird like that. It was like um, everyone was in at 212 and then it was three people, 214. I skipped 216. And then it was just me at 218. And when I cleared that, we went to 220 just so that I could get the uh, indoor record. Right. And after I got that, they went right to 228. I said, can I, yeah. can I take some time? We could have right. went to 225 or something. Well, you didn't, but, don't you get to pick? Did you win or was there somebody else still in with you? Uh, so um, after 218, I let my pole vault coach handle it. Uh-huh. Cause I didn't want to hear it. You know how you get psyched out when you hear what height it is. So I didn't want to hear it. And when I cleared it, they ran up and told me what it was. And then the crowd actually was the ones who told me my first year to twenty eight for the Olympic standard, the A standard. I said, "Well, I know what that is." Right. Yeah. So they just jumped you right up to that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's one of my favorite things I tell the kids that I'm training. I said, look, what you got to remember is every time you PR, right, you jump your personal best, PBE PR, um, your personal record or personal best. First of all, everybody's excited with you, which is always cool. So if they know it's your best, you're jumping around. Like I, I remember just every time I did something, you know, my personal best, I jumped around. And uh, so everybody kind of picks up that you're happy and they may or may not know that it's your PR, but most people would. And everybody high fives you and all that. But the, the little guy, and usually for some reason, the, the high jump officials are little short guys. Mm-hmm. So they come up to you and they go, what do you want to go to next? <laughs> right? And I, there's times that I'm sitting there going, dude, can you just let me enjoy this for a minute more before right, you're, right. you're going to put the bar up to next? You know, and I said, but invariably the bar goes up, you know, and I'm like, I said, I always dreamed about those, the day where you, you win the Olympic gold, you break the world record, all, everything on your first attempt, right? And then you just go, I'm done. <laughs> and you go, right, right. I'm not missing three times in a row and failing, right? You're not, you don't end. I've heard that said before that, you know, everybody takes three jumps in a row at the end that you don't make. And so even if you broke the world record and you won the Olympic gold, you miss three times in a row. So there's that little edge of, you didn't quite do what you could Perfection. have done, right? Yeah. No, no, no. I broke the world record. I win the gold and I quit. <laughs> you don't say, <laughs> I just stopped. <laughs> that was always a dream. Oh my goodness. So yeah, they always tell to... you, 
you know, the bar is going up. And yeah, please let me enjoy it for just a few minutes before you make me jump higher. And uh, you want to know what's funny about that as well? They say, hey, where do you want to go to? And then after you still in shock, like you said, let me enjoy it. They'd be like, okay, we're going to put the bar up. You get five minutes, take your time. Right. <laughs> I thought you didn't give me the five minutes beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to be ready for this life or death question. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. And and by that time you're already psyched out because you're going to say a number that you know you're not ready for or something of right. that nature and you're just going to go for it. Wow. Yeah, you know, these are the things that uh that we're talking about now. You notice we haven't talked a lot of technique or training. We're just talking about these meets. Um and and I love to to have uh re- repeat guests, so we'll talk about this in the future and um but uh you know, this is more of the, uh, the psychology, you know, the psychological aspect of being a high jumper. And, um, I've compared high jumping to, uh, field goal kicking and I've compared it to golf in a lot of ways. Um, and field goal kicking, because, you know, for the longest time, these guys now are so much better than when, when I was first watching football in the eighties, because I remember good field goal kickers might make 70% of the kicks some of these guys are amazing. Like the guy that's kicking for the Bengals right now, I think he's missed once all year. You know, McPherson. The 49er guy uh, has been around forever. Robbie Gold. Robbie Gold hasn't missed a kick in the playoffs in his career. You know, and I'm just like, that's a pretty great number. But, you know, at the high school level, field goal kickers are psychotic. <laughs> it's like you're walking up there and they're just like, oh, my God, the wind just changed direction. You know, from a tailwind, like kicking with a tailwind, those guys are great. When you put a little wind in their face or you, you know, whatever, all of a sudden it's just like, oh, my God, I, I can't do this. You know, and I, I remember thinking of all the, the little twitches I had, you know, as a jumper, like you're talking about if it started raining. Oh, my gosh, I can't do this if it's, you know, and and complete psychotically mental flips where one second you can't do anything. And then the next second, you're like, oh, yeah, put it up. You know, I've <laughs> no problem. I got that in spades. You know, so just complete. I would not like to think of myself as someone who's bipolar. But when it comes to high jump bars. <laughs> it will do that to you. It will do that to you. <laughs> I think I was a little bipolar, you know. So it's like that ability to be uh, cocky and just like. I can do whatever this is. No problem. You have to, you have to have the confidence going in or it's terrible for you. Right. Did you ever, let me ask you this, Robert, have you ever, in all the times that you PR, so I'm sure if you're like me, I I've memorized almost everything from my first PR all the way through. Like I can remember, cause like I said, it was easy because we always went up by two inches. So I wasn't doing the one shit at one inch at a time that you managed to pull off for a while. So it was, you know, I, I think the only times that we got weird heights is if they bothered to measure. Cause they didn't even do that. We would just put it up and whatever the standard said, you're like, Oh, it's five, six. So every once in a while I would go, could you measure that? Cause the school record is five, six and they measure it and they go, Oh, it's five, six and a half. And you're like, Oh, cool. I, I got the school record, but we didn't set it up that way. You know, so you're, you're going along and you know, every single height, you know, that progression along the way and then okay we're gonna have to edit this part out because my brain just shut down what was i why was i going down this tangent i do this from time to time 
not my brain here. He was, was talking about the excitement of yeah, PR. The excitement and the cockiness going into it. Okay, now I know what I was thinking. All right, we're just going to leave that in there so people can know what they got to deal with when they train with me. Um, did you ever, as you were going through, were you ever surprised when you made a new height? I mean, was it ever like the luckiest jump ever or did you like, you know what I mean? Got you. Um, I would like to think that my, my 220 jump was lucky, but it had all the right circumstances, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like my training was there. My steps were right. I had good speed. I was feeling good. I actually had the clap going. So the whole stadium was, oh, you know, watching right. me. It was, so it had everything that was there. But if you go look at the jump, the way my back hits it and it kind of bobbles, right. I always think like, I don't know if I can do that one again. So right. other than that, I didn't have to, or it wasn't a PR though. It was when I won state championship, the bar bounced like that. Really uh-huh. crazy. But it was my last jump. 610, you know, that type of thing. Right. So other than those two jumps, I wouldn't say like I was super surprised that I made it. It was how I made it, you know, right. the the bounce. Right. Well, the reason that I bring that up is that I I just I will tell my athletes sometimes, I said, and we're getting to the swag part now, right? So right. the confidence and everything else. Like when I was on, I knew I was on, and it was like, I don't care who you are, I'm gonna win because I'm ready to go. And that would come with both a opening higher than usual and B just literally knowing when you left, like, I don't remember once, especially at PRs, I don't remember sitting there going, you know, I I hope I make this right now, or I think I could make it. It'd be like, I'm over. Oh yeah. 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 Definitely. I've got it. You know, and it, it wasn't always the first time you know, and, and very rarely was it the first time that you were at that height, but there gets to be that time. And I think it's, um, my personal theory is that it's an internal timing mechanism because I keep teaching my athletes to go, look, every time the bar goes up, your flight time increases, right? I mean, it makes sense that flight time has to go up because the bar just keeps going higher. So even if you skied a six, four jump by four inches, you know, eventually when you make six, eight, you're going to have to do that six, four jump and a little bit more. So you go, my flight time increases. Now, my belief is that my straight part and my curve and my takeoff, you know, arm drive, knee drive, let's say that whole sequence may speed up a little bit as you get faster and stronger, but maybe your approach backed up also a little bit. Cause my coach is always like, Hey, yep. as the car goes up, you got to pull back. Of so course, I think yep. that's all relatively the same but my flight time continues to increase. So I'm like, that's the one variable that I see as the biggest one, because once I'm up to a certain spot of the bar where it's in the same relationship to to me, then I go into my layout and I pull out of it. That to me seems like it should be pretty much the same also. Right. If I can, if all I'm really working on is, is increasing the amount of time that I'm away from mother earth. And, and and continuing to go up and trying to get escape velocity, which we never achieve. But it's like, I'm going to go up as high as I can. Then I'm going to pop that layout and I'm going to come down. So that was the, the thing where I'm just like, you know, it takes a while sometimes to figure out how long to wait. 
right? Still. Yeah, I also changed my form one meet because of that. Mm-hmm. The the two twenty jump, I've never, of course, I've, I haven't went that high ever. So when I jumped it, instead of doing the natural, I would just tuck the chin back to pop the legs over. Right. I kind of just rotated over, you know, rather than doing the whole flip you just, over. Which, you stayed in that position. Right. Just held the neck back longer, and I was like that. But I never achieved the land on the back of the shoulders feel, you right. know, backflip feeling. Right. So that was the one thing that, that yeah, it never dawned on me until today, actually, that your flight time actually does change the way you jump and how you go into the jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, well, I keep thinking the more speed I put into the approach of the bar, I, I keep training, you know, I, I teach this as a, a way to teach the high school kids, but even, you know, my older uh, uh, clients and, and people I'm working with, I go, look, the pit is like a black hole, like right? we're, we're running at it. And the pit is over there going, yes, just come over mm-hmm. here. Like, like nothing escapes a black hole, light, energy, speed. It all gets sucked in because the gravity is so strong. So I'm like, as I'm running towards the bar, I'm actually doing the wrong thing in a way because I'm just feeding the black hole, but that's, it's both good and bad. Cause I tell the kids, I go, look, you get, you get some kids that go, you tell them to take off farther away from the bar and they, they don't think they're going to make it into the pit. And I'm like, right. at the worst, you're five or six feet away. I go, how, what's your best long jump? They go 16 feet. I go, are my, <laughs> asking you am I asking you to take off 16 feet away from the hydrant bar? No, I'm just asking you to get some air, right? So you, you get the air and, and you sail over. Oh, so as I increase the speed in the base of the parabola, it makes sense that my parabola is going to get wider. Right? Exactly. Because your takeoff mechanics, nobody converts. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. I jumped with Lee Balkin and I'm going to throw Lee's name out there right now as one of the UCLA greats that I was very fortunate to train with my first two years. Lee Balkin was the only guy that I remember consistently that would come off the ground straight up and down. A and power I, jumper. No, no. He was six five or four four and a half five and about 160 pounds dripping wet and was one of the most flexible people i ever remember in the high jump and he would hit straight up and down but he was very fast he was like a he was a 47 uh second quarter miler who they they actually could ask him to run uh legs on the four by four if they wanted to and they never did because we were just so deep at that event when i was at ucla and then um he was super fast and super light. He just had, he had that knack. I mean, he jumped seven, three in high school and he still holds the state meet, you know, the high school state meet record. Um, but he would literally, when we slowed it down on, on the old black and white eight millimeter films that would go frame by <laughs> perfect resolution, he was straight up and down at takeoff every single time. It used to drive me crazy. Cause I don't think I ever hit that. You know, I would, you get that just a little bit of wash through. You know, and I, I always tell my kids, I go, well, we can fix it one of two ways. We can either move you farther out, which you have to do anyway. And, or we can, you know, fix your takeoff mechanics, you know, do something where you convert, you know, better, which there are quite a few tricks you can throw in there, but you know, so, oh yeah, straight up and down. Yeah. The timing is the huge thing though. Like I said, I, I, if you throw your head back, where you did it six, eight and the bars are seven feet, you smack your head on the bar, you know, mm-hmm. way too fast. Yeah. You got to wait. Or if you try to pop 
how you popped at six eight at six four, you're going to hit it with your butt. Yes, yes, and then then you're you're bringing in that other issue of the rotation, which I think mm-hmm. if I ever start my layout in the middle of my takeoff or very close to the time that my toe has just left the ground, I've started it so early that I haven't finished flight yet. And that throws everything off. And even if I can contort my body around the bar with an early head back, I have to hold that position so long that it's, it's really hard to get your feet to catch up to your head and then get that spin. You got to have either crazy ab strength or some, like you said, super flexibility. Yeah. And some guys are like that. You know, you, you meet some guys that are, I think some guys are more bendy than they are jumpy, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. the people that are more bendy are the guys that tend to rely on their layout more. And the guys that are jumpy just go, I'm just going to get a little faster and give a little more pop. And I might try to get my hips a little higher at the top, but you know, some guys right. just have that flexibility at the top and they just go, I'm just going to juice it up here and, and see what happens, you know? Oh, that's crazy. Well, hey, uh, Robert, this is... So are you a big fan of the lead arm? What's that? I said, are you a big fan of the lead arm? Uh, you know what? That This is the kind of stuff that I've been aching to talk about. So here's here's the thing. I go through so many different phases. When I was coming up, I'm a double arm pump power guy. So... Mm-hmm. My high school coach was a, a guy named Carl Halstead, who was at Millican High School, was a longtime football and track coach. And he was just huge man. He had a huge barrel chest, probably benched like 400. We called him Hall Stud. He was the, and a great guy, defensive line coach, and was our you know, shot and disc guy in track. But somehow, the powers that be made him the high jump coach. Well, from 1980 where I was chasing a guy named Dave Wicker, who I hope to get on this podcast one of these days, my a year in front of me. Um, he jumped 6'10", his junior year at our high school, and one of the standards slipped down, and the bar stayed on, and they didn't count it. But in my estimation, he made 6'10", because I watched him do it. And then his senior year, he jumped 6'10", about four or five times. And then I followed him my senior year, I jumped 6'10", and three quarters, and then the year after that, a guy named uh, Dave Bearford, who was the year before under me, he jumped 6'10". And the year after that, a guy named Derek Moore jumped 6'10". So we had five years in a row of 6'10 high jumpers or better at Millican High School in Long Beach, which I don't know has ever been matched anywhere, either in the state or in the nation. I would bet somebody has done it, but I, I don't know who. So our coach, Halstead, the only thing I remember him teaching me, number one, I didn't run a great curve and we never worked on layout, but he had us bounding up and down the bleachers on one leg with a double arm pump. And he's like, drive your arms and your knee up together. And that was it. That was the key to my success in high school. I had a good double arm pump and I got my knees, knee up and across with my arm drive pretty much every time. Right. And so that was, that was that. Now, when it comes, I used to teach that all the time. And I would, I I made a lot of mistakes, I believe, because I would teach people, okay, three steps out, you're going to gather. And then one, two, you get two steps to get your arms back and then boom, right? Well, not everybody's a double arm power guy. So, you know, I, I had real trouble. I used to think, oh, these single armors. I think that's just, it's just lazy. You know, it's just weak. And it, it looked to me like 
a lot of people just throwing that arm in to the bar, you know, but that has changed quite a bit. You know, the more, the more that I've been watching and the more that I'm seeing these guys jump seven, eight, seven, nine, seven, ten. I'm watching the Europeans and super fast and boom, you know, and um, Derek drown would actually gather like a double arm and then run off as a single, you know, I'm like, yeah. why did he bother to gather? He didn't even need to, but you know, and boom, and you start seeing the speed, the speed that everybody's operating at, at these heights, you know, at seven eleven. And I hope I'd like to see Barshim and I'm not a Bondarenko, you know, from the Soviet union has jumped seven eleven times. He's another candidate just because he's an antelope. You know, these guys are six, eight and they run so fast. And, you know, I've seen Bondarenko's workouts. I would be very surprised if he could squat over 200 pounds. I'd be very, <laughs> very surprised. He looks like he doesn't have a muscle in his body. He's just tall and fast. I mean, I've seen him holding two 25-pounders in his hands and doing these little quarter squats on his site, right? Yeah. I'm looking at it going, okay, wait, what? <laughs> like. When I was a sophomore, when I went from 210 up to 218 or whatever to get to, you know, from you know, never making seven feet up to seven two, I squatted 400 pounds that year in the weight room. Right. 395 for me that, that year. That was when I finally started really getting off the ground, you know, after putting on this 15 pounds. When I went from 6'3", 180 to 6'3", 195, I struggled through that one year. I, I believe I just didn't have enough power. So when I got the squats up and I was doing hang cleans with 275, then I could get off the ground, right? And it was always that way for me after that. If I didn't lift, I didn't have it. And it may have been mental at that point, but it was like, like I felt better when I was lifting heavy, you know? And that was Jumpman Wester told me the same thing. He's 6'3", almost 210 when he jumped 7'5". I go, you weighed 210 pounds and jumped 7'5"? He's like, oh, yeah. He goes, if I weighed uh, 195... He goes, if I weighed 195, I couldn't get off the ground. And I'm like, really? But that was kind of, you know, my mentality was like the power aspect, right? But yeah, these guys that are jumping 7-Eleven, they are fast, you know? So I'm like, well, which one is it? You know, you get to the classic power versus speed. And, you know, if you're running that fast, I believe it's just really hard to all of a sudden gather. And although every time I say that nobody does it, Barshim's a double arm pump guy. And he's very fast. But if he jumped watch, from about 10 feet out, though. And he's way out. Exactly. You got to be, right? At that <laughs> speed, if you're right next to the bar at that speed, there's no way you can get over it. So if you watch him, though, he's really fast. And then it's a real quick flash. He just flashes his hands together and then right back and up, double arm. So I've gotten to the point where I will teach the kids and my, my clients as well, but I, I deal with kids more than anybody else. But I, I go, look, here's three or four major types. Number one, look at the films of Fosbury. Fosbury was unlike anybody else, right? If you watch him, when he came through to jump, he's going here, here, here. Now, the single armor just goes right up from there. But he would go reverse, just like a long jumper would, you know, boom. So when his arms were right. To take off now i'm doing him from the wrong side he was on the other side but he did that straight up arm reverse just like a long jumper would and some triple jumpers right so and i tell the kids i go look one out of every 1000 people does that and i have tried personally 
at least five or six different ways to use your arms off the ground. And the Fosberry, pure Fosberry is the worst for me. I cannot get an ounce of lift out of that. I jumped five feet doing that <laughs> in, in good shape. And I'm like, for some reason, I was a double arm pump guy. So I couldn't get enough out of that. And I believe a lot of it had to do with strength to weight ratio. Because if you look at him on film, he was 6'4". Like, he looked like he might have weighed 140 pounds dripping wet. I mean, yeah, he was yeah. thick. He was light and quick. And he could just run off the ground. And I was so envious. Now, I didn't – my own personal body image, I don't think I could handle that. But, I mean, it's like he was perfectly built for it, you know. And so for that particular type, I'm like, well, that makes sense. And I've, I've seen kids jump that way. There's a couple of brothers out here, the Carlsons. Uh, they went to Catella High School. And I know Doug Nordquist, who we were talking about earlier, coached one of them at Fullerton College. And they were both seven-footers. Both of them just ran off the ground like that. Then there's classic double-arm pumpers like me, you know, gather, take two steps, boom. Then there's the speed single, you know, but there's a lot of variations on how to get both arms back. So, you know, I never tell the kids, look, this is the Haynes system. This is the sky jump camps way because that doesn't make any sense to me because everybody's different. The things that I've identified, what I believe to be the, the universals that go across all the this different styles is that knee drive that comes back up and across. You know, you've seen that, that sharp angle that comes all the way back towards away from the bar, you know, and I call it cover the hip. Like it'll come, if you're looking at me straight on here, it'll be like, bam, like yeah. across like this. That I believe has to be there. And then uh, everybody talks about the penultimate and all that. I like to just call it a slide step or that quick last step. You know, yep. yeah, ba-boom, ba-boom. Doug Norquist is always telling his kids, he's like, hey, one, two, three, ba-boom. One, two, three, ba-boom. Mm-hmm. You know, five-step curve. Okay. So, and I get it. And once I understood that, I was like, oh, yeah, not really long, short, just regular and then short. Get that last one down quick. Yeah, just make right? it quick, yep. Yeah, because you don't want to be short, long, because then you're dropping down. You want to be regular, shorter, so you're already coming up as you leave the ground, right? That's yep. the second one. Using them twitch muscles. Not everybody uses that, but right. at the highest levels, I've watched it and I've been watching tons of film of everybody. And what I'm calling the slide step too, if you watch people when they cycle, right? You got high knees in the front, especially the Europeans, right? Big. Power. Yeah, the long strides in the middle. Right. And they're just, they're up here. Bam, looks like their knees are coming up to their chin, right? And then their feet in the back do that high cycle, right? And they kick themselves in the butt. Mm-hmm. But if you watch the very last step, it doesn't come all the way up and around through. Because if you did that, those two steps are going to be the same length, especially at that speed. If I cycle that foot all the way up here, there is no way I'm getting it down quicker and shorter than the one that's right. It's not going to happen. So how do I do that? I have to, te- to purposely what I call short cycle or slide that foot to get it down quicker. And when you watch, the, oh, the women, Lysa Skenia, the one who jumps. Oh, super yes, good. yes. Outrageously good slide step. Barshim, of course, Drown, Bondarenko. When I start watching all of them, I'm just like, they all have it. All of them. I'm just like, 
Now, some people don't have it and they can still jump high. So you can jump high without it. But I think to be exceptionally good, you have to have it. What else? I agree. There was, there was the, those are the two. I preach those a lot. And then the, I get in arguments about this all the time. It's on, I had somebody else comment just uh, last week. I don't, I'm not a big fan. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm setting myself up for a debate, but uh, you know, let's just get it out there. Foot plant angle to me is everything. Where should it be? Where should it be? Right. You get all these different things. And I go, look, if I run at the bar straight at it, I'm a hurdler, right? If right. I run straight at the bar, my, my hips and my shoulders are parallel to the bar. I've got to do a 180. It's never going to happen. Not with speed. Okay. I can lean back. I can torque that foot if I want. And I can try to get my knee up and around, but it's never going to work. Right. Right. Coincidentally, if I swing that, the other extreme, 90 degrees around. So I am running parallel to the bar. Right. Let's say I have a super wide curve or whatever. I'm running parallel to the bar, almost like they did when they used to do the straddles. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to plant my foot and jump sideways to get into the pit. So I go, both of those extremes are logically incorrect in my mind. So now you get to that argument. You go, well, if that's the case, then wouldn't that 45 degree angle be right? But when I put my foot down at 45 at that back corner, my shoulders and my hips are still pretty closed. And I don't believe I can get my knee around. And I've, the more I watch film, the more I see it, the more convinced I get. I'm like, I don't see anybody at the high levels doing that. I really don't. I see people struggling at the low levels, you know, with that. Like from here or to the back of here. I never see it like that. Like they want you toward the, the back corner of the box or the pit. Yeah. I don't like that. I like for the foot to be kind of sideways off of a yeah. lane. Yeah. I, I like my foot plant parallel to the bar. I mean, right, right. parallel to the bar, I can get that knee up around quick. I can get my hips and my shoulders and my back to the bar quick. And I've even become a fan. I don't know if you've seen any of those guys that run with their shoulders kind of turned already. Have you seen? I like that because it gets my back to the bar. So, yep, that's my warm up. Yeah. So anyway, wow. That I've, I don't know. Maybe I've been dying to get into that for a long time. But <laughs> I was like, it irritates me because I'm just like, I look at it and you're talking about someone who's been coaching for over 30 years now, and it's not like it's my first rodeo. So when I see things that repeat, you know, when I watch them, I'm just like, okay, wait, no, I, I don't, I still don't, I don't believe it. And, uh, you know, I want more data. So in my mind, I want better camera angles because the way they film the high jump is a travesty, even at the Olympics. I'm just like, who's dreaming up these bar angles? I've got two bar angles I like straight down the bar so I can see how you're doing this, right? Boom. You're, hit, you're hitting from the side and straight up. When I can see that angle and I know it's straight down here, I can quantify that. I can draw a line and I've got my computer. It will tell me how many degrees that is. And I know the right. farther over I get over here, the more likely I am to hit vertical at high speeds. Then I like that straight behind this, the standard shot every once in a while where I'm looking, you know, 90 degrees, like we are just talking about me running like, like it's a hurdle. So when I've got that angle of view, I can see your lean back. 
not the lean to the side, but the lean back, which is just as important, I think. So I've got you leaning back. I can also quantify that angle. So those two are very valuable. And the ones that they never use that I keep wanting to do, and if you haven't done this out there yet, I might hold on to this secret. I'm going to hold on to this that I've been doing. But the third one that I think is almost as good as the one angle is to show the backside of the curve. So if I see you from behind, Robert, while you're leaning to the left, you come in on your, mm-hmm. on your left foot, right? You're lefty or righty? Yes. You're off the left, right? So I'm a righty. You're, yep. you're leaning to the left. I can see that angle pretty good from the backside sometimes. So I will change it up every once in a while just to make sure that I'm not getting too regimented in my views and everything. And sometimes mm-hmm. I might see something better from that angle. But those are pretty much, you know, the three. And man, what they come up with the Olympics and I'm like, oh my gosh, that view from behind the bar, you know, I'm just like, I can't tell what's going on. Or the in-air mechanic. Yeah. I don't really like mechanics. The one bar, like right there. And they yeah. show it as he's going over. Like, it don't give us the, the right time frame that we need for that position. Right. right. Yeah, I agree. I would like to... Oh, well, I'd like to see track and field grow, you know, bigger in this country. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's gone the other way since I was a kid, just because the entertainment dollar and everything else is just, it's just so hard, you know, like, uh, when do you see track meets over here? It's very rare. Every once in a while on a Saturday, you might see like the pen relays on, on CBS or Mm-hmm. It's been a couple of hours, but it's always kind of rare. And sometimes it's not even on the same day that they did it. You know, it's like this happened three weeks ago or, oh, and then the coverage has not gotten any better in 30 years. Like uh, my senior, 40 years. God, how old am I? When I was a senior at Eastern, <laughs> in 86, prime ticket had just started as a, as a, you know, sports network. And they say, Hey, we're going to come and film your meet. We had a meet against Cal my senior year and they go, yeah, we're going to come film your meet. And so they're putting up cameras everywhere on the corners of the track. And we were so jacked up. We're like, we're going to be on TV. This is going to be awesome. And they've got cameras everywhere. And, and we had the meet and we beat Cal in the rain. We swept the high jump, me and Mike Powell and my good friend, Brian Mergenthal. And in the paper, the next day, the coach goes, if anybody was going to sweep the high jump, it was going to be us. And we're just like, yeah, whatever. We swept you guys in your own weather because they brought the rain with them. And all right, <laughs> so we're going to sit down and we're like, yes, we're going to sit down and watch the meet, right? And we watched the meet and they didn't cover anything but the running events. All the running events, 100, 200, they covered every, yes, every lap of the men's 10,000, 33 laps. And these guys are just talking about whatever, right? Oh my gosh. So yeah, a guy in lane five, uh, his mom used to, you know, sell peanuts <laughs> at the circus. And it was just like going, what in the world? Did they show one high jump? No, one long jump, no, shot put, nothing. None of the field events. And if they did, they might show a result, but they didn't show the actual person doing it. And I was just like, this is horrible. So two weeks later, we get another chance. It's us against SC in the Coliseum. Same deal. They hadn't learned anything in two weeks. And I'm like, you know, granted, the Olympics coverage is a little bit better, but not hugely in my Not that much better. Not that much better. And I'm like, look, 
we don't put the same resources into it. I'm like, I need that guy in the truck who's just like the guy at the Masters or a football game. Because when I'm watching the Masters, they go, hey, where's Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods is on 12th. So they flashed to me. They showed Tiger Woods hit his shot. Whether it was good or bad, doesn't matter because it's Tiger. And then they go, hey, let's go to over here to 14 because, you know, this guy just chipped in for Eagle. And they, oh, hey, let's go over here. This guy just knocked it in the water or whatever it is. There's always something to show you. And they've got cameras everywhere. And they're showing you every hole, every angle. And then in football, you know there's that guy in the truck going, okay, camera one. Okay, camera three. Give me that side right. shot. Okay. Oh, look at the coach right there. He's picking his nose. Give me camera five. Okay. Camera five. We got him and they're just bit, 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 bit. And it's just seamless. Right. And they're making these great calls and you're going through there. And then, I mean, a track and field meet, as you and I both know, is a three ring circus of stuff going on all the time. There's you the all the field events are going on at the same time. <laughs> and you do a sprint or you do this, or you run the hurdles. And it's like, why don't we have those guys going, okay, here's, the, you know, here's the uh, hundred meters. We've got these three guys. They're the favorites. And this guy's this and boom. And there's the replay and see the guy at the lean at the finish. And okay, now let's cut to the high jump because, you know, here's Robert Atwater and he's trying seven and two and a half. And this could get him to go to the U S Olympic trials. And there's none of that. They don't have right, it. Right. You know, and it, it would be awesome if you knew, anybody that knew the sport well enough to work with the guys and go, look, <laughs> you guys are missing a whole bunch of stuff that's going on, first of all. And second of all, if you could talk it up a little bit and set up the drama, then it's quite compelling, you know, but exactly. I, I just keep waiting. Uh, and I, I think the problem is, is that there's a lack of interest and or slash money behind. I was just about to say, to do it it's a money issue for sure you have to be willing to spend money in order to to get that and our biggest problem is is maybe even if it was better produced there's still going to be a, a huge part of the population that just either a don't care or b don't know enough to care about track and field you know even though you've got many football players that ran track in high school and you've got some different sports that might've had some involvement in track and field at some time in their careers. But, you know, you're trying to get football coaches to work with you. You know, I had a, a young man on, a, a, I still haven't actually put his podcast out yet. I've got, I've got his in the, in production. Um, Rodney Van, who was a, a, he's actually the son of one of my high school teammates, Rodney Van Sr. Rodney Van Jr. played football at UCLA but he came from Long Beach Poly and at Long Beach Poly, he was both football and track. He ran, you know, some sprints. He did some long and triple jump. And uh, they told him when they got him to UCLA, when they were recruiting him, that they were going to let him do track. And then once he got there, they didn't let him do it. And that's not the first time I've heard that story, you know, and not just out of UCLA, obviously there's all kinds of programs out there that now you are here. We've got you, your scholarship, we don't want you doing that. And if you step over that line, you could lose your scholarship, right? Or, you know, whatever kinds of things they can hold over you. So, and it, sometimes it's just because they don't know any better, right? Or they don't care to know any better. Mad craziness. 
How are we doing there? Did I lose you? Uh, it was buffering. I can still hear you, but the, the video was, you know, jumping around. Yeah. But I definitely heard you. And that happens at all, all schools, small college, big college, definitely. And then they'll try to hold it over your head exactly like you said, to where yeah, if you do get injured by doing this other sport, then, yeah, your football scholarship or basketball or whatever you have will be taken away, which isn't fair. Because there's so many great athletes that are doing multiple sports or that could be doing multiple sports and aren't because their coaches are just saying, hey, you know, you, you can't. But if you look at the highest levels, I mean, even the NBA and football still, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's still thousand to one odds. Even, even once you're a senior at the NC2A level, you could, you could be a five-star recruit, starter for years, and you go to the camps and they just go, nope, <laughs> you're, you're not fast enough, right. you're not bad enough, and, and that's the end of your career, you know unless you want to try to make it in another league or, you know, whatever. So, you know, the odds are. And some of them, make some it. of them big names, if they did. Right. Right. That's why I say if some of them big names did step over into the track realm for maybe just a year, or even when it was our big time for like the Olympics and stuff like that, they just stepped over there just to give us some, some hype or media coverage. It will help our sport a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting. There's, there's a great name in, uh, in track and field that uh, is, is coming up again now because of this guy's daughter. There's a guy named Michael Carter who played nose guard at SMU, right? And he also was a shot putter. So Michael Carter won seven NC2A championships in the shot. He won either four indoor and outdoor or vice versa. So seven out of a possible eight in his career. He goes to the Olympic Games in 84 and wins silver in the shot, right? Didn't, didn't lose by much. And then was drafted by the 49ers and played, I'm, I'm pretty sure, on the 84 team. And if he didn't play on 84, then he played on 88 and or 89. So he is a world champion football player and also phenomenal collegiate shot putter, seven titles and one Olympic silver. Now his daughter... I think it's Michelle Carter right. uh, is, is just as impressive at the college level and also the Olympics. So, and she did a lot of the, the um, color commentating at the yep. last Olympics, did a lot of the, and they, they spread her out. Like she didn't just do shot. She was doing shot and disc and javelin. And, you know, I think they figured since she was field events, she could talk about anything, <laughs> but, you know, uh, what a great legacy in that family. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know. But, oh, the Cunninghams. Yes. There you go. The Cunninghams out of California as well. Randall Cunningham. He was, uh, he was a senior when I was a junior, I think. He's only a year, year older. Uh, we actually played. His son. Yeah, his son. Number one in the nation. And I was number two in the nation in high school. Yeah. He's still really good, right? He's, is he jumping? Yes. And, four or five? and his sister Vash, Vashti, Vashti Cunningham as well. Yep. Yeah. She just, she was in the last Olympics, although she hasn't, um, hasn't performed well in the Olympics yet, but she's still pretty young on the world scene. Um, Cause I think she was a senior in high school in 2016. So she would be what a senior in high school. She'd be 18 
plus another five. So she's only 23 as of this last Olympics. So she could have, yeah. have more coming. Well, hey, Robert, it's got to be getting late for you. It's 8 o'clock for me. That makes it uh, 11 your time. I would love to keep you up all night. But uh, we will definitely have to open up this. Uh, <laughs> it's not a can of worms. Yeah. A can of whoop, you know what, because uh, it's been fun going over everything from uh, what heights to start at to right. what the mentality <laughs> is to uh, increased flight times to all these different things. And uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, graciously giving your time. And uh, I'm looking forward to those of you that don't know out there, I'm trying to uh, get Robert into Vanguard University here in California. Um, we're doing our best to get him there so that we can continue uh, the high jump career of Robert Atwater and make seven, uh, two and a half, a distant memory as he jumps higher. And uh, so uh, God bless you, Robert. I thank you so much for your time. And uh, we got to do this again, man. That was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And I'm definitely looking forward to it. All right. Hey, have a good one. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Come on.